Hello and welcome to the Stephen Perkins Program here on the Outset Podcast Network. So happy to uh, have you joining us this week. Um, It's definitely a big week for us as we launch this new network. On today's program, we're talking about Ted Cruz's 2016 announcement and some other things that have come along with it. Talking about Glenn Beck's recent comments that he's leaving the GOP. We should add some like bum 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 music here. And also we're talking about Benjamin Netanyahu's re-election and what it means for U.S. and Israeli relations as well as what it means for President Obama. I'm sure he's thrilled. But first, um, I do want to just just veer off, veer off the political path for a little bit and talk about um, some, uh, some other news. Um, the first news, and I, I, you know, I know this is going to be hard for a lot of you to take, so please sit down, you know, um, sit down, have tissues available, because big news just happened from across the pond, and I'm afraid that it's going to change the direction of our world forever, specifically the One Direction world, because Zayn Malik has left One Direction And white girls everywhere are crying, and they're hysterical, and they don't know what to make of it. But it's okay. It's okay. From BuzzFeed, he announced that uh, that that after I don't even know how how long they've uh, they've been going, but it seems like forever. Oh, okay, right there. After five years, Zayn Malik uh, will be leaving One Direction, so it's just going to be Niall, Harry, Liam, and and Lewis. Just. Just the four lads making music without the uh, the guy who looks like um, an ISIS terrorist. So, you know, I, I understand how people get emotionally attached to music groups. I understand how um, this has caused a lot of frustration for some diehard fans. I mean, you know, if, if, if Michael Buble were to leave uh, music, I would certainly be devastated. You know, if uh, if Marcus Mumford left Mumford and Sons, oh, there would be letters written. There would be strongly worded letters. But let's just come to terms with something. Um, they're a boy band. In the history of boy bands, boy bands always break up. Um, and to be quite honest with you, if you're crying because of this person leaving, I need you to just get over it. Um, and move on with your life because there's more productive things to do. Although if you're one of those people who are crying because of this news, you're probably not listening to this podcast. So, um, if you know someone who's been crying from this news, send them my, my dear, dearly tender words. So now that that's all the way we can talk about, you know, some, eh, I mean, that was the big news really. Now we can talk about just some, some minor stuff. Um, I, I, I do want to just do an intro to this program real quick because uh, for some of you who have followed me for a while, first of all, thank you so much. And second of all, um, you know that I've done this show, the, the Stephen Perkins program, uh, independently for the past um, for the past uh, half a year or so. Off and on again, we ended up getting 23 episodes under our belt, which isn't a lot, um, but it's... Um, but it's certainly a step in the right direction. And so essentially what has happened, and I announced this on, on the podcast um, a couple of weeks ago on my blog, uh, stephenperkins.me. You can go and listen to all the old episodes. But I announced that we're making the transition now over to this Outset Podcast Network. 
Um, I think this is a really exciting time, as I've said before. On Tuesdays is is second look with Benjamin Green, and uh, and it's up now. And, and Benjamin does an incredible incredible job at hosting that show. It's really about politics and culture, and he he uh, he has a really good conversation about it. So. My show is is not too different from Benjamin's show. It is about politics, and we'll get into culture, as we just did. Um, but the main difference, um, I, I suppose, is that, you know, a different host is going to have a different style. So, you know, Benjamin is very, very level-headed. He's very calm and collected. And, you know, I can be. If, if, you, uh, if you give me a coffee or a tea, I'll be very be very calm but I get I, sometimes I get a little animated on this show so just a fair warning just a fair warning things may get out of hand there may be there may be some elevated voices I don't know we'll see but uh this show is now on the outset podcast network if you want to check out the full lineup because we have two more shows coming on to the network in, in the next couple of weeks you can go to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast and that is podcast with an s at the end it's like more than one podcast um i do want to say real quick this week's episode is brought to us by the fine people uh at octopod if you're tired of your phone or tablet battery dying all the time like i am i swear i cannot get through a full day without my phone going you know what i'm gonna bail now well, finally, there's a solution. If you visit octopod.com slash outset, that's octo-pod.com slash outset, you can browse their incredible lineup of mobile charging solutions. Find the one that's right for you. I use both of them. I use them in conferences. I use them um, just throughout the day. I have the little, the, the, the smaller one. Um, and they really are incredible products. So once again, go to octo pod dot com slash outset uh just one more announcement before we get into really the big news we on outsetmagazine.com we have this new feature where we do monthly cover stories and the cover story um for april has actually been posted a week early so uh yesterday on wednesday we posted the cover story of kelly ward done by uh, outset contributor josh deford and it is an incredible profile i go I, I recommend you go check it out. Go to OutsetMagazine.com. You can't miss it. It's the cover story. Um, this is a woman who is thinking about challenging John McCain in 2016 for his Senate seat. And I think that's a noble pursuit. And so I support it all the way. Uh, the other thing is that Outset and RedMillennial.com will be hosting a joint live Google Hangout this Saturday at 12 p.m. It is a part of a new series that we are working on called Road to the White House, where we will be examining what has been happening on the presidential campaign trail um, throughout 2015 and 2016. This Saturday, we're talking specifically about Ted Cruz's campaign. Uh, which is actually our first story today. So make sure to tune into that. You can find the link on redmillennial.com or outsetmagazine.com um, by Friday, I believe, is when both sites uh, will have that information posted up there. We're working hard to, to get everything going on our end. All right, so I, I want to jump into our first story. Ted Cruz kind of created what I think is the biggest story, not only of this week, but the biggest story um, of... of um, of this election cycle. And, and I say that because, uh, on, on Sunday night on Twitter, he announced that he is running for president. And on Monday, he continued that announcement at Liberty university. 
Ted Cruz is, of, of course, a Tea Party favorite. Um, he has gotten uh, notoriety for being one of Obamacare's biggest opponents. He's, he's hosted um, filibusters in the Senate. Um, he's done a really interesting job there. So he announced Sunday night on Twitter uh, that he was running for president with a, with a simple video uh, asking for support. And then on Monday morning, he spoke at Liberty University's convocation ceremonies uh, to over just, I, I think, over 12,000 students who were there. Of course, there's a lot of people saying, well, they were required. Yeah, they, they were. They were required to go there. So uh, take that as you will. But th- this is big. This is big for this campaign or for this election because he's the first Republican to officially launch a campaign. Um, and, and he did so by bypassing completely the exploratory committee phase. Typically, um, when someone is thinking about announcing campaign, they'll form a, a uh, what they call a exploratory committee, which is essentially saying we're hiring, we're hiring pollsters in key states. We're going to see how popular we are and what our chances are. So he completely bypassed it. He said, you know what, we're just going to come out with a campaign. Um, and so he did that. And what I th- what I think is interesting is, um, for me at least, I, I feel like this is a little premature. Um, Rand Paul is not set to announce until April 6th, uh, just here in a couple of weeks. I, I just feel like the campaign season is getting started a little early. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I love the campaign season. The earlier they want to get it started, the better. Let's do it. Let's spar. Let's, uh, let's get in there and, and get things done. I just don't know for someone like Ted Cruz whether the prolonged exposure is a smart move because Ted Cruz um, is someone who causes a lot of controversy. He's someone who turns heads, not always for the right reasons. And I I, I think um, that by him announcing so early, it's going to allow more more time for things to come out. Um, it's going to allow more time for the left to craft a message against him. Um, and I, I think it could possibly be hurtful for his campaign. But those are one, that's one of those things that we're just going to have to kind of see how that goes. Now, because this announcement was on Twitter, because the, the, the initial announcement was on Twitter... I think he's the first candidate to do such a thing, first of all. But I, I think it shows his campaign team's mindset going into the 2016 election, an election where digital strategy is going to be so vital. If you look at the difference, in 2008, Obama's uh, digital strategy on Twitter was incredible. He really utilized what was at that time still a pretty new service. And he was able to reach a, a whole new group group of people that I don't think he would have been able to reach without the help of Twitter. In 2012, digital strategy played an even bigger role as we had, you know, the campaigns doing rapid response on Twitter and we had Tumblrs and, and, uh, and, and, and YouTube played a big, um, a, a big part in that. But I, I think, I think Ted Cruz and this campaign team is really smart um, in starting early with digital and implementing it so well But because the announcement was on Twitter, that is where the first wave of reaction started. And I was on Twitter around the time that he announced, which was 11 p.m. for me. And within minutes, the divide between conservatives was on full display in the Twitter community. I mean, every single tweet 
was 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 something different it was you know it it was it was pro cruise anti cruise pro cruise anti cruise pro cruise pro cruise anti cruise pro cruise you know it was it was out of control immediately conservatives started to bash cruise and we'll talk about the specifics in a moment um so but i think that's the nature if you're going to announce something on twitter that's that's where you're sparking the fire and and out of all social media that's really where the most discussion happens um but another thing that came out of this announcement, the very next day, I mean, these people were not waiting at all. The very next day, Burther conspiracies came out against Ted Cruz. Uh, as you may know, Ted Cruz, he was born in Canada. His mother is, was an American citizen, is an American citizen. Uh, father is Cuban. And so up until 2013, Cruz was a dual citizen of the U.S. and Canada. He renounced his Canadian citizenship in 2013, presumably in preparation for a presidential campaign, because he knew these questions would come up. And out of everyone, Donald Trump was, of course, the one to stir up a lot um, of this birther controversy. Hmm. Imagine that. Even more pathetic, I think, than the Obama birthers, because this shows a, a vast misunderstanding of how our Constitution and, uh, and candidacy eligibility rules work. Um, because he was born in Canada, but he had an American mother, he is an American citizen, and, he, and he's, he's granted those full rights. Um, now, you could certainly call him an anchor baby, which I think would be... Interesting. But, but then again, it's not like his mother was trying to stay in Canada. I mean, who would want to stay in Canada? So this is something that, um, you know, it's not as serious as the Obama birther conspiracies, which actually had um, a little more steam behind him. I think this one is just, you know, Donald Trump trying to stir the pot. But it's interesting nonetheless. Now, the next controversy is that Ted Cruz announced Tuesday, the very next day, that he will be signing up for Obamacare. The very program that he has vowed to repeal and presumably, uh, presumably replace. Now, the story behind this is Cruz's, uh, Ted Cruz's wife, Heidi, uh, is taking an unpaid leave of absence from her job at Goldman Sachs. So the family is no longer eligible for health insurance through her job. Uh, Cruz said in an interview, quote, We'll be getting new health insurance and we'll presumably do it through my job with the Senate. And so we'll be on the federal exchange with millions of others uh, on the federal exchange, end quote. So on the surface, this certainly looks like Cruz is caving in and not standing on principle. But let me remind you of something. The reality of this is that Cruz is simply following the law. That's it. That's it. He's following the law. Even when you disagree with the law, and especially when you're a candidate for president, even when you disagree with the law, you have to follow it, even if you want it changed, all right? You have to follow the law until it, until you can change it. So Cruz, like millions of other uh, Americans, is following the law that currently forces you to buy health insurance, and he's doing so through his job in the Senate. Um, so it, it's not like, it's not like he's independently going out and saying, I'm, I, I want to sign up for Obamacare. He's doing it through his job in the Senate, which if you do it through your job in the Senate requires you to do it through the, through the federal exchange. Now, 
I think this could be actually a good thing for the campaign because at first, um, at first people would criticize him saying, oh, you criticize Obamacare, but oh, you're on a Goldman Sachs, you know, healthcare plan. Oh, you're not even on Obamacare. Now he can be genuine when he talks about abolishing Obamacare. People could have easily said, oh, oh you don't like Obamacare, but, but, you aren't, but you aren't even on it. Now he can say, I'm on Obamacare, so I know what it's like, and I know how expensive and unreliable it is. I know firsthand what it does to people's premiums and what it, how it changes coverage. Secondly, by following the law, he's already better than Hillary Clinton, someone who acts as if she's above the law. So this puts him at an advantage, y'all. But, you know, that's another discussion for another episode. Sorry for the cliffhanger. I, 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 I think what it really comes down to is Ted Cruz, I, I think right now, is, is doing everything right. I think he's really doing everything right. Even if you don't like him, even if you don't think he's the right conservative, which is an interesting argument. I think he's doing the right things. He's, he's laying um, a good foundation. Now let's address some of the biggest issues to come out of the Ted Cruz announcement. First of all, I want to talk about how conservatives are relentlessly attacking him and threatening uh, to leave the party if he's the nominee, or at least not vote for him. This week, you heard conservatives say uh, he's not the right conservative. You know, he's not our perfect candidate. He's not experienced enough. He's kind of like Obama with not much experience in the Senate, although that's flawed because Obama was, uh, didn't do anything. Cruz has actually done kind of some things. People have said he, he's too divisive, which I understand that sentiment. And they said that he doesn't appeal to, to parts of the party and he, he's not going to take the approach that others have have uh, have been promoting of making it a big tent party. So, you know, the, these are all perfectly valid um, um, criticisms. But I want to I, I want to just say this: the big picture is simple. Cruz is not the perfect conservative, but he's also not the nominee. You know why? Because it's March of 2015, and no one else has announced yet. So can we all just agree to stop freaking out? Stop acting like it's the end of the world. It's the end of the GOP. It's the end of the conservative movement. Oh my God, you know, now we're going to be stuck with, with Jeb Bush, my BFF. It's going to be okay. It's March 2015. Guys, stop the madness. We're going to be okay. I love, listen, listen, if, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I love stirring up the pot. I love overreacting just as much as the next guy or gal. This is an equal opportunity program. But please understand that for me, it is a joke. Some of the things I say are completely, are completely genuine, but for the most part, it, it's, it's a big joke. It's a big joke. Ted Cruz let me be clear. Ted Cruz is not my favorite out of all the potential candidates. Like if, 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 if I had the choice of all of them, he would not be the first pick. You know, if, if, if we were lining up for a softball team, not a softball team, if we were lining up for a baseball game and, and I had to pick my team. And by the way, I always got picked last. I don't know why I was just a, a little chubby kid. But if, if I had to pick the team, Cruz wouldn't be the first guy I pick, mainly because he doesn't look very athletic. But he also wouldn't be the last guy I pick. 
but I'm also much more excited about Ted Cruz than I am about Hillary Clinton. So let's calm ourselves down. Let's take a chill pill. And let's refrain from bashing people like Ted Cruz. If you really want to make sure that a good candidate is picked, and notice I didn't say the perfect candidate, because there's no such thing, but if you want to make sure that a good conservative becomes the candidate, let's focus our attention on targeting other people, like Hillary Clinton. Let's target her. Focus your energy that you use to bash Ted Cruz on Hillary Clinton, and maybe we'll make a difference. Let's focus our attention on Jeb Bush. Let's talk about why he's the wrong Republican candidate. Let's talk about his history with Common Core. Let's talk about uh, his, his, his history with, with big government progressive politics. You know, let's go over after Chris Christie, the round mound of sound. My boy, the Pillsbury Doughboy. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about progressives in our own party and progressives in the Democratic Party before we go after the guy who, mm, I disagree with him on a couple of issues, and so I, I want to see his entire campaign burn to the ground. Let's be more mature about this, shall we? If Ted Cruz wins the nomination, or really if anyone other than my preferred candidate wins the nomination, I'm still voting for Hillary Clinton's opponent. Okay, it's as simple as that. If, you know, my favorite at the moment, and, and this could change, um, is Rand Paul. If Rand Paul doesn't become the nominee, let, let's say that, that the nominee becomes, um, you know, uh, uh, Scott Walker. I'll vote for him. Nominee is Ted Cruz. I'll vote for him. The nominee is uh, Lindsey Graham. Oh, well, well, then we run into issues. Um because, because I, I, I still don't know yet if I can, um, if I could vote for Jeb Bush or Chris Christie or Lindsey Graham or some other, uh, some other dumb hack, but, you know, I still, I still don't know. We'll have to cross the bridge when we come to it. But what I'm saying is, guys, let's just, let's just cut the drama. Can we, can we just come together? And, and I know we're not going to agree on every issue. There are conservatives, uh. On, on all sides of the spectrum, and we're not going to agree on all the issues, but we have to come together and say, you know what? Winning against another four or eight years against progressive liberal policies is better. And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we are going to win this election. So speaking of people overreacting about the GOP and about just everything going on, in regards to 2016, let's talk uh, for just a hot second about Glenn Beck's latest comments that he's leaving the GOP. It's just so funny to me. Beck said last week on his radio program that he will no longer be donating money to the Republican Party, but he will support individual candidates, presumably like, uh, like Ted Cruz. Which, by the way, that's always been his position. And listen, I'm a big fan of Glenn Beck, all right? He's, he's part of the reason that I got into media. I remember watching him on CNN back when he was uh, funny. But he's never, I don't think, he's never contributed directly to the GOP. 
So he's making all 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 these waves this week, saying, "Oh, you know, oh, let's uh, let, let let's kill the GOP." He's been saying this for years. This isn't new news. Beck's battle, as he explains it, is with the establishment GOP, including the party's leadership and other operatives like Karl Rove and uh, and, and 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 the like. He claims that they are going to try and defeat people like Ted Cruz and other non-establishment Republicans in order to nominate a progressive Republican like Jeb Bush. Now, in that respect, I completely understand his sentiments, and I agree. That's why I don't personally associate myself with the national GOP. I support Republican candidates. I support my local Republican organizations. But when I get a call from the GOP offices in D.C. for a donation, uh, click. I don't do it. But to be fair, they, they haven't called me in a while because of some choice words that I had for them a while back when they accused me of helping Harry Reid and the Democrats because I hadn't donated to them in, 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 the, in the midterms. So you could say the national GOP and I are a little estranged. Listen, the fact is the GOP is at a very interesting crossroads. There is an incredible pressure to nominate a real conservative this time around. Just to recap, McCain in 2008, an establishment Republican. Romney in 2012, an establishment Republican. In 2016, who's it going to be? Who, who are you going to let us have, GOP? Are we going to play the same game or are we going to finally admit that we have a problem and work towards fixing it? And the problem is that we keep, we keep nominating... People who have no chance in hell. Now, in 2016, I, I, I don't... Listen, I'm at the point where I don't really care how dirty Ted Cruz or Rand Paul need to get in order to defeat establishment Republicans like Jeb Bush. They should do whatever it takes. And and for me, you know, I... I it's tough because I, I don't like dirty politics, but within the party right now, there is such a big force behind progressives like Jeb Bush that they have to be defeated, I think, by any means necessary. And, you know, to be fair, maybe maybe I've just been watching too much House of Cards and 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 I'm just I just really want to see someone get stuff done, but I'm at a point where I just I, I want to see the nominee be an actual quality conservative this time. Call me crazy. The bad news or the good news is is that I don't think Paul or Cruz are those kinds of people. I don't I don't think that um, that they're willing to get as dirty as they might need to. Certainly not as dirty as I think uh, uh, Republicans like Jeb Bush and other establishment Republicans will. But when it comes down to it, we have to do, we have one singular mission in 2016, and that is to issue a defeat to President Obama, his legacy, and the Democrats. And let me tell you something, kids, we're not going to do it with Jeb Bush. We're not going to do it with Chris Christie. We're not going to do that with Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. That was more like, that was more like Billy Graham. We're not going to do it with these people. They're the, they're the wrong guys for the job, all right? I would hope by now we've learned our lesson. McCain, 2008. Romney, 2012. Bush, 2016. 
God, I hope not. I hope not. But uh, but that is our singular mission. Um, that is our singular mission is to issue defeat to the Democrats. We will be right back. It's no secret that President Obama does not respect Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and I don't think he respects Israel. Uh, in my opinion, he sees Israel as a roadblock to unfiltered deals with Middle Eastern countries, including, most recently, the nuclear deals with Iran. He sees Netanyahu as an annoying Israeli version of the conservative opposition that he faces here in the U.S. in Congress. With Netanyahu's re-election, President Obama has retreated to little girl tactics, and to be honest, that might even be offensive to little girls. After Netanyahu's election last week, world leaders sent Netanyahu their congratulations, and the Obama administration stayed silent. The next day, they chose to congratulate the Israeli people on having an election, but they never directly congratulated the prime minister. And while all of this is going on, in the final days of the campaign, it's revealed that President Obama might have donated to anti-Netanyahu organizations in an attempt to get him kicked out of office. Not just President Obama, the State Department, our government, could have very well donated to organizations that campaign against Netanyahu. Now, but when the, result, when the results of the election came in, Netanyahu's conservative party, the Likud party, despite all of the seemingly well-funded and well-mobilized opposition organizations, won a total of 30 seats in their parliament. The new government, which will be a coalition between the conservative Likud party and other right-wing and religious party, uh, is expected to be formed sometime within the next couple of weeks. The way it works with these coalition uh, parliamentary governments is that uh, they have to uh, the, the, the governing party has to have a majority of seats in the parliament. And so Benjamin Netanyahu has to now negotiate with the leaders from these other parties on a uh, unified agenda that they can agree upon before they can make that coalition government. So what does this mean for U.S. and Israel relations? I want to read from an op-ed that was just published this week on Outset Magazine by Blake Humphrey. And it's a very good uh, article and he writes, quote, Obama's legacy in regards to U.S.-Israeli relations has already been defined clearly, and there is no such chance that President Obama can salvage his reputation of being one of the most lacking supporters of Israel in recent U.S. history. While the two men's nations have historically had a strong alliance, the personal relationship between the president and prime minister has been far from pleasant. President Obama's dislike for Netanyahu is known around the world, and the Israeli Prime Minister has naturally developed his own disdain for Mr. Obama. In short, it's very simple, the difference between President Obama and Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu is a man 
who has been elected time and time and again because he stands up for Israel and the country's security when no one else will. When no one else has the audacity to stand up to radical terrorist organizations, Benjamin Netanyahu says, I will, and we're going to keep this country safe. Now, if you look at a map, you'll see as Israel is surrounded by enemies. I mean, by, by common logic, they should already be dead. They should already be wiped off the face of the earth. But Israel has an incredible defense force, an incredible defense uh, system against missiles. They've done, very, they've done very well for themselves. And, and that's partly because of the coalition that they've had with us in the United States. They've always had, or we've always had their, their back. They've always had our support. But not as much in recent years with President Obama. President Obama doesn't like the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu stands up to radical terrorists. Because President Obama sympathizes with Israel's enemies. And quite frankly, people who should be America's enemies. President Obama sympathizes with radical terrorists. And Netanyahu stands up to him. So you, you see the difference here. You see the difference in leadership here. Here's the thing. I don't see Israeli-U.S. relations improving until we get a new president. As simple as, I mean, that's just as simple as that. We have to get a more pro-Israel president. But the tough part is, while many Americans do support Israel and support their right to defend themselves, there are a lot of people um, who don't quite understand the conservatives' obsession with Israel. And, and, and listen, for an outsider looking at it, it is kind of odd. And, and I'm just saying this from, you know, from an objective point of view. It, 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 from the outside looking at it, it does seem odd that we have such this obsession with Israel. But what this is really about is peace and democracy in the Middle East. And listen, you can disagree all you want with, uh, with, with how we went into Iraq and tried to you know, make a democracy out of them and how that, for the most part, failed. But Israel is, is a different case. They've, they've been a democracy since the very beginning. And, uh, and, and they are the only democracy in the Middle East. They're the only place of, of freedom in the Middle East. In Israel, th there's a different culture about them. But, but a lot of people don't understand our obsession. Our obsession clearly comes from a point where uh, we just want peace in that region. We want liberty and democracy to be present in that region. And Israel um, is, is, is the country who's doing just that. And so that's why we like them so much. Because we see them, we see them in, in, in an incredible fight for, for peace and democracy. And we support that wholeheartedly. But on the left, there, there is not as much support for Israel. And, and there's certainly no real pressure in the Democratic Party for a pro-Israel candidate. So when people are talking about Hillary Clinton and her flaws, no one from the Democratic Party is going to say, oh, she's just not pro-Israel enough. Oh, you know her problem? She's just, she, uh, she's wishy-washy on Israel. No one's going to say that, but in the Republican Party, if someone were to come out and, and not be very supportive of Israel, conservatives would not stop. We would say, we can't, we can't nominate that guy. He's very anti-Israel. I mean, that's just, an anti-Israel candidate would not ever thrive in the Republican Party. 
So this really comes down to, you know, what did the next two years look like? And I think that um, I, I, I think that as President Obama is finishing out his presidency, it's going to be a real challenge, especially with these Iran deals coming up. I mean, we are essentially we're giving Iran the capacity, the ability, the authority to bring in nuclear capabilities. And again, maybe the president doesn't own a map. But I would recommend that he looks at the geography of the Middle East and sees how close Israel is to, uh, to these enemies. And how easily Iran, people who have said, they've said publicly, they want to destroy not only America, but they want to destroy Israel. I just wish the president would take those threats seriously. Because if the president of the United States the greatest country, the greatest force in the world does not stand up against these radical terrorists, against enemies of, of America and, and enemies of our greatest ally, Israel. Then what kind of message does that send? We're supposed to be a country that's, uh, that promotes liberty and peace. And President Obama has come on the scene as someone who is going to restore peace, right? He said he was going to end the Iraq war. He was going to end all this, all this occupation of the Middle East. But he's created a much larger problem than just some troops in Iraq. I mean, you, you thought that was problematic. This is even bigger. Allowing Iran to have nuclear capabilities... Is, is the equivalent of being a traitor. If President Obama walks away from the, from the negotiation table and says, listen, you're not going to have nukes. We just can't do it. I would applaud him before anyone else could. I would, re I, I, I would jump on the pro-Obama bandwagon at least for a day if he were to walk away from Iran and say, you can't have nuclear weapons. But instead... He is acting like a traitor to the United States. And he is equipping our enemies with weapons that can destroy not only our, our allies, but us as well. And you think that's far-fetched? It's not. Iran has said their goal is to destroy us. Their goal is to destroy Israel. Their, their goal, really, is to destroy anyone who doesn't agree with their political or religious ideology. They funnel money into terrorist organizations, and those are the people we're negotiating with. I think it's it's an incredibly bad move on part of President Obama. I think President Obama should uh, should man up and and go to Benjamin Netanyahu and and apologize for being you know just such a tyrant um, in regards to our relations with Israel. So. That is the last story that I wanted to cover today. Um, I just want to I want to send out my apologies to Governor Jeb Bush. He was supposed to be on the program today, but we've run out of time. I'm so sorry, Jeb. We will be emailing your people, uh, and hopefully we will get that resolved. I want to say that you can subscribe to this show as well as well as Benjamin Green's show on iTunes. You can find us at outsetmagazine.com/podcast. You can follow Outset on Twitter at Outset. 
uh, magazine. You can find us on Facebook at Outset. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Perkins. And until we see or hear or, you know, until we speak to each other next week, take care. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.